0: Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swim podcast. Joining me is Coleman Hodges, Swim Swim head of production and the guy on deck at all the swimming meets. And joining me with Coleman is David Marsh. And, and head coach of Team Elite since 2007, arguably the greatest year-round club team on earth, professional team and club team on earth. Before that, he was at Swim Mac delivering them their greatest accolades in the history of that club. David and I have a little connection there. And before that, he was a head coach at Auburn, winning 12 nc team titles. Uh, the, greatest for, the greatest college coach for a very long time in history until... Eddie Reese eclipsed him, if I'm if I got that correctly. But of course, Eddie, if we want to put a little asterisk by that, he's been coaching a whole lot longer at that level. And of course, he's 2016 Olympic head coach, 2012 assistant head coach, 2000 assistant coach.
1: Ninety-six, uh, 96 and 2000, yes.
0: Ninety-six and 2000. You've coached
1: 49 Olympians. Is, is that correct? I think it's more now. I don't, I don't actually keep up with the Wikipedia stuff, so I don't know how to change it in Wikipedia. So I, it, it's it's I it's it's, it's one. I can tell you this, Mel. It's one at a time. It's 149.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna. We're just gonna put it out there. I'm gonna say once. <laughs> one. You know. There's. The, in my opinion, you really only coached one Olympian, and his name is Mel Stewart.
1: Boom. Yeah, that was <laughs> that, that. was a great way to start, Mel. When that you you were actually my. Uh, you you are who I practiced on at a ripe a, a ripe old coaching age of 30, and to think now I'm 61. Been a few years, and uh, but it's 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 always been a great ride with you, and uh, so proud of you and what you're doing, and thank you during this time going back to podcasting because you're so good at it, and I love hearing your interviews. Bob Bob's interview was fantastic, and and uh, you have a way of asking questions that gets things out of people that uh, sometimes other people can't get that. And, well, you're uh, good too, but Mel's uh, Mel's the man. <laughs>
0: We're gonna okay. We're gonna we're going we're gonna use that lens, and we're gonna. Uh, this is what we're doing today, guys. If you're listening in and you're a swim parent or you're you're a young coach, we're really hoping you get something out of this. Um, David has a lot of talents. Uh, his his understanding and his swimming, uh, he has deep knowledge. But we're gonna focus on something very uh, very narrow, and I think a lot can come out of it. But I call David the magic man. And uh, he's the magic man for one specific thing. And I think it does also shed a light on everything that we love about swimming. But he has this unique talent of, of meeting people and uh, coaching them for a short period of time or coaching them at, towards the end of their careers, making some tweaks to them mentally and to their strokes and all different. It's, it, this is, it, it, it's high level coaching and uh, they, he, he really transforms their life, puts them on the Olympic podium. And uh, I've always been fascinated by it, and and humbled to see him achieve this over the years. So I'm going to go back to the beginning, and we're just going to we're going to hit it hard. So this is what we're focused on. Uh, my experience: I was your first guy, uh, maybe not the first guy. You can correct me here, but in, you know, in my history, first dude for first the Olympic medalist.
1: Man. Yes, they come through. So, yeah, uh,
0: I showed up on deck. I was with you. I think I was with you eight weeks, and this was. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a summer. My father convinced me to do it. He was really worried. I was ranked number one in the world in the 200 butterfly, but I, hadn't, I, that I, wasn't, I wasn't getting over the hump. And I show up on deck, and after the first week swimming for you at Las Vegas Gold, I decided that I hated you. Um, <laughs> did you know that I, that I decided that I hated you and then I was like I made a very bad decision in that first week?
1: Well, I, I, a lot of times it starts off like that. Is that because of the Heineken and the ice cream thing? I,
0: okay, some backstory. My diet—that's another thing. My diet was terrible. I had a—I had an awful diet. I'd—I'd I'd eat a pine hagen Haganda's and i would i have a few heinekens for dinner. You know, I just—I ate a lot of empty calories. But uh, so I'll—I'll I'll, I'll jump us in here. So I show up on deck number one in the world, and you tell me that you're going to change my stroke, and I'm like, why would I change my stroke? It's gotten me this far. Uh, I thought I was going to come in and get some some great training. And that was going to be the improvement and you were going to come in and be the architect of the new Mel Stewart butterfly. And, um, and that really, that shook, shook me to my core. That made me very, very insecure. And, uh, yeah. Did you know that before I showed up on deck?
1: No, I actually, interesting hearing you say that now that, that you're, you're, uh, emotional about that because you were actually quite respectful in listening and being curious, uh, I think you were always into any way you could get better. So you were totally paying attention. And what I saw in your stroke now, Frankie Bell had set you up beautifully with that side breathing and the rhythm of your butterfly. But uh, to me, the butterfly had started to, f- started to flatten off a little bit more. And, and, I, and I thought you had, you had that natural movement in the water, which we wanted to keep. At the same time, I wanted a little more extension at every cycle. And I was trying to pick up a little more distance per stroke and to keep the same uh, stroke rate. Uh, and, and honestly, I was also 30 years old and, uh, I knew everything at 30 years old. So I, I was arrogant enough to think that I could do that and some you know, and, and it, it sort of, you know, sort of helped out a little bit. I, I,
0: I like young, arrogant coaches. I think, I think we do, I think we make our greatest discoveries when we're young. Um, so I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to paint a more dramatic picture here. This, this is, you know, you don't know what someone's internal landscape is, but for me it was, um. You, you were very precise. You said, uh, cause I did say, you know, I'm number one in the world and, and this, I, there was pushback. It might've been polite because I was raised by a great father, but it was, uh, it was angry and made me insecure. If you're insecure, you get angry. And, mm-hmm. um, and what it really boiled down to was, uh, God, what, how, how do I say this? It was, um, you said to me, you're not going to get an American record. You're not going to get a piece of history. You're not going to get an American record or a world record. And, and the, your Olympic gold medal is not secure unless you make unless you unless you make some changes, and that really just hit me in my chest. And here's the problem: I knew it was true, and and it and it felt like a, it felt like I got hit by a two by four, and I had I had to get over that, and I had to get over it quickly because we didn't have a lot of time.
1: Right. So um, you might not remember well, I that also, but I do. <laughs> well, I think also one of the things at that time was there was a dominant person in your event that uh, looked like. He was moving toward being unbeatable, even though you were number one in the world, you were sort of hanging on at number one and gross was coming, man. And so for you to, it's always the case when the moment you start to get complacent or even looking back at holding your position is the moment you start getting past. And and so if you're not progressing, you're not, uh, you're, you're, you're going to get past eventually. So in every, whatever position you're in, you have to look at uh you know the complacency is the biggest enemy and and i think just by changing coaches you uh, uh, to some degree you challenged yourself with that and i think that made a, a big difference and, and then uh, you know it was, it was a lot of fun sort of watching you know having you do you know doing challenging sets with you and, and some other things that we can talk about as we go through this
0: well let's let's get into the nitty-gritty of it and let's use that as a, as a jumping off point so that we can go to other athletes so for me it was a um what you told me was counterintuitive i I was doing a full long loping stroke and i was emulating michael gross who was 6'9 and so uh, my hands were entering the water almost touching out front yeah and you spread my hands to shoulder width uh or slightly more based on comfort so i was taking more strokes Per lap, and I and I was in, and that was counterintuitive. It didn't make sense, but you you explained it to me as look, you're slowing down. You have a you have a hic, you have a hiccup in your stroke. You're slowing down. You're losing your inertia. It's chasing you twice as much energy by actually adding more rotation. You know, more stroke cycles per 50. Your last 50 is going to be stronger, and and you were correct. I I, I sensed it, felt it with with within 10 days. I was feeling it, and my brain was rewiring. So that was, that was the Mars magic in my world, just a piece of it. Do um, you have this history with other athletes and uh, you know, who was next on your list? What was the, what was the change? Who was the next athlete where, where you stepped in and said, this is what I'm going to do for
1: you. Yeah, I would say the, you know, before, after, after I coached you and the, the the Las Vegas gold uh, sort of pro group back then, it was sort of its first effort to be sort of a pro group, Bart Pippinger and Tyler Mayfield. And we had a nice, group out there but nothing like what you know has has happened lately but then I went to Auburn and so I really shifted in many ways the 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 the, sort of the mindset I had and and the reason I bring this up now because it really made it it, one of the reasons later on that I left Auburn when I did is because I felt like I wasn't doing as good a job with world-class swimmers because I was really running this this monster of a ship at Auburn trying to maintain championships and I wasn't Narrowing in on some of the individuals that were the best in the program as well as I could have. We won some, lots of medals as as a, as the Auburn coach, but I always felt like, man, I, I should have. We should have taken more time on this, this, or this. And so that that is, that plays into this. So during my window of time at Auburn, I really shifted when I went to Auburn into my passion of raising Auburn from you know our, our men's team didn't have any NCAA qualifiers a year before I took the job to try to become competitive. And the women's team, uh, the first year I was there, we had one summer go to NCAA championships. Christy Kruger, Christy Jett now. and at NCAA she disqualified in her only event, the hundred fly. So that was my that was my kickoff to Auburn years. But but obviously we got better as as the years went on. By '94 we won the men's title, and then '97 should have been '96. That's a different story, a different podcast. But '97 we won our first men's title, and uh, and that was then it really exploded because by then we. We Became the place where there was an article written up about us. The name of the article, one of the articles I'm most proud of, is called No Names to No Names and uh, No Names to KNOW Names. And that was really what we did at Auburn. And so, to some degree, what we were doing with the Dynamo Swim Club and I was coaching there and then Las Vegas School was helping people and I think helping systems. You know, when you got assistant coaches like, you know, Rick Gunther and Bob Bowman on your staff at, uh, at, at uh, Las Vegas Gold, I, you know, pretty good chance you're going to be successful with those kind of people. Same thing happened at Auburn, had great assistant coaches, had a, developed a great culture. But, but some of the missing piece, I think, was the commitment, my ability to give a, a, enough commitment to the professional swimmer and really the tip of the spear. Because championships at NCAAs are not won at the tip of the spear. They're won by making finals. Get lots of top eights. You can win the meet. That was a formula we used, and we didn't spend a lot of time. If we didn't have a ton of winners in NCAAs, we would be focusing on finals, finals, finals. And uh, so, the, so in 2007, when Mark Schubert and Jeff Gackle and uh, actually Frank Reich, who's now the head coach of the uh, Baltimore Colts, they approached me and uh, – not Baltimore. I'm sorry. Indianapolis Colts. Excuse me, Indianapolis. Uh, when, they, when they approached me about, hey, we have an idea of bringing you over to Charlotte, uh, it was, it was, it was very interesting and tempting. And then when it played out with Mark's vision, it, it just sounded like the right thing to do. And it was at a good time. I was on my fifth athletic director at that point and things changed every time I had a new athletic director. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, it was something to do. So, I, and I do think that you're, you know, you're when the, also a
0: creative person. It's uh, anybody who knows you knows that you, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're you, you live in the flow. You, uh, you like to engage, and you like to be creative, and, you're, uh, and, and not all coaches are that way, uh, but you have that gear, and I think that you needed a challenge, and you needed to build something. And uh, that, was, that was, I mean, we talked before this all happened, and yeah. uh, one of our closest friends, Jeff Gackle, who is, is one of the greatest supporters of swimming yeah, absolutely. in USA Club history, he, I can't express to you how excited he was. And he was excited for that reason. He's like, Marsh is creative. We're going to do interesting things here. Anything's possible.
1: Yeah, it was a, and another part of that was that not only the pros, but I got a chance to work with the uh, Develop group programming. And, and I had always been a, uh, somehow I was printed by watching Paul Bergen's program at National Aquatic Club. And when I saw, and they had a team where almost all their swimmers looked like they swam the same way. They had a model of Tracy Calkins, but they all sort of swam the way of Tracy Calkins. And I was like, that's what I want to develop at at Swim Mac. And at that point, we were Mecklenburg Quarter Club, as you remember. But it it was one of those things where what I expected was fantastic technique, you know, and I've always preached between 11 and 14 years old, you need to get your technique down because that's, you know, like when you had Frankie Bell, you were fortunate. Not not many people had a woman like that at the age you had it to set you up for the future. Well, she's a technical master. And that's the really key thing at that point. And so I got a chance to oversee that. And by then my kids were somewhat swimming. And so I could see that you know, having some control over a big club, I might be able to have a big uh, impact on a large group of people, and and I felt like between what we were able to do with the with the uh, team league group and intermixing them with the total club of about 700 summers in Charlotte, uh, made some magic for several years, and for you know uh, at least the you know first few versions of board of directors that I had and people I worked with. So it was. It was, uh, it was a very special time, especially as we were building it, because I could go on the deck and I could see not just uh, the top swimmers improving, but I walk on the deck and say, there's nobody in our pool, I, our orange blue meat. I go in the pool and there'd be nobody overreaching in backstroke. There'd be nobody pulling too far back in breaststroke, because those were no-nos uh, by all the coaches. they just standards set by the program. And from there, we can launch. And in that window of time, we broke, I think, all the seventeen, eighteen men's uh, national age group records. We set all kinds of thirteen, fourteen, eleven, twelve records. So, uh, and we put a lot of premium on relays, even for club swimming back. Then. And it was a, it was a lot of fun. But I'm, you know, I'm enjoying uh, San Diego now. And and uh, so it's a, and and with this Hall of Fame thing, it's really caused me to go back in a little bit more reflection on my career of what. I've done to now. But I can tell you, Mel, I mean, I, I feel really blessed that, you know, Peter Lynn moved out here to San Diego. Uh, I've had Bob Gross, Seth close to me. I've had these mentors. And uh, you earlier said that uh, after I'd won 12 national championships that, that uh, Eddie took it over. Actually, it was my mentor, Richard Quick, that went to 13 right. next. And then Eddie took it all over. And uh, thanks, thank, thank goodness he did because he's done it with, you know, one side of the, the, the equation with the men's side and done an amazing job. In college swimming, so I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be even anywhere in the mention of that crowd. So, uh, but but what I think in in the big picture, Melanie, sum this up in terms of just the bigger picture, the development of 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 athletes, whether it be uh, through a whole career of an age group through senior level, or it, ha- it happens to be a four-year window of college, or an athlete comes in like you did in a matter of a few weeks or like Anthony Irvin did, then the end of the day, here's the deal. What does it take to get the performance out of them at the right time? Because I think a lot of people can get performance out of themselves, but maybe it's not the right time. It won't be at that special moment of the Olympic games or Olympic trials or NCAA finals. It may happen sometime at a conference meet or it's some qualifying meet. That's not what you're preparing for. You're preparing them for, a, 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 a at the moment to predetermined moment in our sport where we get we have to perform and that's a very different thing than just you know how fast is your best time no it's performance at the moment tell us a story good let's let's, let's make it real let's go with someone that everyone knows and loves
0: Cullen Jones I remember when Cullen Jones landed on deck it was like uh well a I remember the discussion about it behind the scenes. It's like, can, can he pull it off? And my thought was, he's in the best place on earth. He's with the magic man. Paint a picture. When did Cullen show up on deck and how much time did you have before Olympic trials in 2008?
1: Yeah, Cullen came in. Uh, I had a pretty good amount of time with him. Now, now Richard, uh, not Richard, uh, Mark Schubert had a lot to do with helping that happen. Uh, Mark really encouraged Cullen to, he was the national team director at the time and was. Uh, trying to get people in the right places to get you know to have earn more medals which I thought was great and uh you know so he you know he reached out to me Cullen reached out to me and I was you know I didn't have really uh very many pros at that point I had Jeremy Knowles and Mark Gangloff who come with come with me from Auburn uh had a you know a few others that had come along but when when Cullen decided to come aboard uh it was a big change for me because I had had all these good sprinters you know Caesar Cielo and Fred Bousquet, the guys that were, you know, by then had become some of the best in the world in their sprints. And, uh, but Cullen, he was, he was a very different kind of guy. His mentality is what I had to work with, with him. And fortunately, because we had, uh, I think it was about six months to work with. Not uh, no, the still, still a Small window. Yeah, no, I had, to, at the beginning, I just had to get to know what he was doing. Cause I really didn't feel like his sprint stroke was as powerful as he had the potential to be. He swam a little bit more like a 200 freestyler. He swam with a, a lot of uh, a lot of lift in his stroke, so he he actually sculled a lot more than most sprinters. And so we spent a lot of time trying to get him for the 50 freestyle to be much more powerful and aggressive up front. Right. So there wasn't a lot of of sideways sculling. It's like uh, hand it and dig, dig and go, and and so for uh, for Cullen a lot of it too is his mentality. So the next thing was getting, you know, working on getting him stronger than he was at that point. And for him, strength wasn't just how much weight can you lift. Muscular endurance was real important because that's what he wasn't quite as good at. So things that had to do with more repetitions and things like that, that ended up helping out. And then the biggest thing was really when to, you know, press the gas. Because Cullen was very unique in that I found after coaching him for a long time that what I need to do with Cullen is just keep him swimming because he was also doing all kinds of public appearances. He's a, he's one of the best speakers we have in our sport. He's a role model to so many people and he should be a role model because he's an amazing human being. And he, uh, 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 but what I had a hard time doing is getting him to really dig in and training. I mean, it wasn't his, he didn't really like to train. He loved to race. Didn't like to train so much. So really, really had, uh, you know, when I was my best thing I realized with Colin is, after and it's only after a couple seasons but i did realize after that was that calling about eight to ten weeks out of big meets he'd get really serious he'd lock in and then before that uh maybe not so much you know it'd be, it'd be he'd take care of business here and there he'd have a speech here he'd have a thing there he'd have a girlfriend there he'd have you know he'd have things but about eight, eight to ten weeks out he would lock in and i got he just it'd be like one day he'd come in and like he didn't see he wouldn't say anything i just see in his eyes all right He'd be there on time. He'd be there early. He'd be like, okay, time to get ready. So it's like a boxer going into a training camp and saying, all right, now it's time to go. And he just had the sense of when he needed to get start getting ready for the big meets. And that's so he taught me that uh, in, the, in that kind of way. But but yeah, for sure with Cullen, it was, it was several things that we adjusted. It wasn't one thing. It wasn't a stroke. It was, it was, it was several things. Okay, so you've
0: got him eight weeks out. But going into 2008, we had a, an unusual situation. 2004 was a step up at Olympic trials and, and uh, when we were in Southern California. But we're going to Omaha. The pressure was on. So you have this guy who's frankly raw and green that you've been bullied for six months. And he's stepping on deck in Omaha. And that, the, the, that is a pressure cooker environment. I mean, How yep. did you manage his head? Uh, especially a sprinter um, in that environment because that was the first one and it was the first uh, it, w- it was very intense because it was overwhelming the venue with 15,000 seats yeah, and, yeah yeah so how did you manage that
1: well fortunately uh, Cullen is a bright lights guy so when the bright lights are on you would get the best out of him and knowing that it was more like pacing him so what we did, for example, was we brought him in only three days before the race. So we didn't bring him in four or five days like a lot of people did. Three days before the race, because I didn't want him too amped up too early, because I knew he would be. And he's ready to go when he gets there. And fortunately, he makes the relay and the 100 freestyle, which really takes care of the 50. Then this sort of the pressure is off a lot more. But I was most worried about the 50 being toward the end of the program. And if he didn't make the 100, the 50 would have been really tough because it had been there all the whole week he you know, he's, he's emotional when he races. He's emotional for his his teammates, and he's, you know, part of Team USA by then. So he's, you know, everybody's loving on their different their different teammates, and they're heartbroken when they don't make it, and thrilled when they do. And that's a, that's not just a rollercoaster for the athletes that are at the at the trials themselves. It's for their teammates, their USA national team teammates, and people they they went to college with, the people they cared about their whole life. So Cullen's the real magic with him was just to try to keep him calm. So we'd bring him to the pool in the middle of the day. When it wasn't so much seeing all the different swimmers that wouldn't want to come say hi to him, so let's try to bring him in kind of on the down low. So that's really the the biggest adjustment that we did for him. And then the other thing was just uh, it all. Every time it will be tries, I find I find myself uh, talking to the athletes about training them for the first 35, and if they can learn how to use the free easy speed the first 35 of races, or in the case of the 200, the first 75. And I saw Davis on your interview, he talked about not knowing how to use that speed. and really didn't have enough time with him to some degree. But if he could have floated the verse 75, he'd have been just as fast, and then would have had a lot more energy for the end. But, you know, it's hard to duplicate – well, you can't duplicate the Olympic trial setting as far as uh, the, the venue creating the energy for the beginning of the race I, and the I, athlete not having to give any effort.
0: Let's, let's, let's take a pause there because here you, you, you got, you've, got to, you've got to mention that Davis, uh, Davis Tarwater – there was, there was the same, Davis was not the same swimmer after he had, had been training with you. And this guy came into the event, into, into trials, and I was, my jaw was slack because he was swimming so many events, finaling in everything, and his speed was extraordinary. And this guy was, you know, he swam mile, the mile as an age grouper in the 400 IM, and he, was, and he was, you know, it was a 200 flyer. He came from the top end down. And suddenly he had this extraordinary speed and, and it was, he, he, he was surprised by it. Um, how did you change someone like that? I was so, I'd known that kid since he was eight years old. I was jealous of this little kid. He's always been a kid in my head of of all the speed that you had created for him. How did you do
1: that? Well, really it's, it's what we've done, you know, at, at, at Auburn, really from, really from Auburn forward, uh, which are two big tenants. One is recovery. Recovery is a really critical part of high, high level preparation. And the better you can recover as a professional, the better you're gonna be able to attack the next session or the next week session or this cycle of uh, the cycle of training. The second thing is you always wanna be fast. So we do speed work in, in, in my program, uh, like raw speed work. I'm talking about blast 25s, 15s, uh, I don't, Mel. I don't think you were. That was in my philosophy when you were there. I'm sorry. You probably been a hell of a hundred flyer, also. Right, let's but take a
0: pause right. Let me take a pause right there. Every time that day, every time that I have shown up on deck in in you know in the modern era, every time Coleman shown on shown up on deck to do a practice in pancakes, the joke is did they go? Did he is, is Coleman's like Mel? No. Did they go more than a 25? And I'm like, no. I never saw anybody go more than an all out 12 and a half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we didn't. I did not experience that.
1: No, you didn't. But I, but at, from Auburn forward, and really that was all, had a lot to do with Mike Bottom. I partnered with him right away. Dave Bottom, Mike Bottom were two of my assistants, and we really went after speed because we knew that would help us with NCAA points. And really, what we've done is we carried that over to all the summers we were going. Now there was a window of time we had, you know, Haley Pearsall and Adrian Bender on the team. They weren't going to get speed, so they didn't do speed. So Ralph Crocker, God rest his soul, he uh, uh, he he would take the distance guys and. But pretty much everybody else I've ever coached does speed work at least twice a week. And here's the thing about Davis, though: when Davis started doing speed work with the sprinters, you know, and Davis pushes everybody, so he'd be calling out, you know, the sprinters, and he said, like, oh, "Don't don't let this middle distance swimmer beat you." And honestly, he would win a lot of races in the power sprint days. So you know, Cullen and Bernelli and those guys—they were not happy to have. Uh, Davis kind of blow in on sprint days and beat him, and so he raised the whole climate of that. So I'd say the recovery and the the underpinning of speed, uh, staying fast all season, is a big part of where he found sort of new speed. And honestly, he was he was uh, he was focused more on the 100 and 200. And he told you about that 100 freestyle I did in Knoxville, you know, unshaved. Uh, I think it was the fourth fastest time. It you know I, I wish he would have been considered for the 400 freestyle relay. Because he'd have probably made the, the night relay, uh, but but he it, it, you know in that window of time we felt like the tuner fly was a little bit better event form. So put a you slight on. That. He shared it in the podcast. What do you go, Forty eight what? He went forty eight seven, and at that point that would have made the team. Yeah. In training and, camp. And, uh, yeah, in training camp with you know I think he, he told you it was at the end of a long day where he signed autographs because he was the star in Knoxville where we were in the training camp, and uh, but at the at the end of the day. Davis, you know, he, call, he calls his gold medal precious. Uh, at least he did back then. And he said, uh, you know, th- this, is, this was a, a – he was able to go through the, the steps and finally, I mean, the, the dramatically make that Olympic team by, you know, by Michael Phelps stepping away from the 200 freestyle and him yeah. stepping in. And then he delivered at the Olympics. He split a 145 at the Olympics. And, you know, again, arguably should have been on the night relay. But, it, it, you know, after coaches discussed it, uh, there was a vote, and, and that didn't go that way. But uh, Here
0: you go. Let me, let, me, let me stop you there. So what's fascinating about him and, and the reason why I was jealous of Davis Tarwater making me bitter was because he was this guy who was always coming home in the back half. He would eat your lunch on the last 50, and you transformed him to that guy who was having to hold back because he had so much easy speed. And that's something that everyone wants to have, and certain athletes, you would think it's unachievable. I thought that was unachievable for Davis. Now, give, let's 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 give our, our listeners, let's give them a taste. Let's, you know, give, give us give us a little appetizer. What is a marsh sprint set that is just there to take a guy like Davis Tarwater and turn him into a sprinter? What's what's a go-to sprint set?
1: Well, there's two things. So one would be racing. So we we you know again, like I said, at the end of the day, it's about performing in the moment. So we'd actually put pressure on them to race each other. And we would call a winner, you know, call a winner and a bunch of losers. So you, the goal was to be the winner of these sprints. So, but the sprints we would do would be like, uh, you know, laying on your uh, stomach. Uh, then you, when the whistle blows, you, 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 sh- you shift in the water real quick and try to be aquatic to make the spin and get to the wall first, touch the wall first. Or it might be right foot out of the water the whole time. And uh, and head up. So it might be something that's but it's, it's it's still, again, an aquatic challenge to get them to move. We would also uh, race all four strokes. So we would, you know, everybody would, you know, do a 25 breaststroke, 25 or you know, 25, uh, uh, you know, butterfly with your head up, maybe with a flutter kick. So there'd be about there's generally about 16 to 20 races when we do that. Or it's another version where we're doing power shooters uh, more like a circuit where we don't power shooters. We'd be doing, uh, fins paddles, uh, maybe eight, 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 uh, 20 meter blasts. Uh, what else do we do? We'd put, you know, some kind of resistance, uh, assist, resistance assistance. So stretch cord, pulling people in the stretch cord and the pattern there we have always used is first one is, uh, is just, a. Uh, glide and hold your body position as high as you can let the be pulled along second one is out swim the cord so swim much faster than the cord move your hands faster than the cord to build boomerism but uh to, to sort of confuse a nervous uh, nervous system uh, nervous system and then the third one would be perfect tempo perfect technique and eliminate resistance so get more narrow so those are the, that's the little sequence we'd follow with uh swimming with stretch cords in threes and i think it works pretty well we've done it uh, at least my whole career with uh, with swimmers, so that's you know something.
0: We're going to keep it tight. We're down to six and a half minutes. So I, what I want to know from you is, is we're winding down. Is if I'm, and let's just say that I'm a swim parent, or I'm a 12 year old kid, or I'm a young coach. Um, you know what? What do I, I? What do you want to do with that kid who is in those formative years, this developmental years, where they where they have the dream of swimming year round in college? What, what's what are you trying to bring to the to the pool and their talent? Specifically regarding speed?
1: Yeah, I think the, the, the deal is, is that speed is gained through, if, you, if you're a parent of a, or, or you're, you're an age grouper right now, speed is gained through maturity. It's not gained through necessarily something you're doing in the water. And Davis had man strength by the time I, I got him. Now at Michigan, he probably wouldn't have been able to generate the same type of speed. So maturity and physicality. Outside the water, uh, uh, things between the, you know, between, I, 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 you know, I've told so many kids of 10 and under parents of swimmers when they talk about, you know, how can, you know, I get a swimmer like yours. I said, if they're 10 and under, send them to gymnastics, send them to martial arts, compliment what they're doing with something else that's very physical and, and make sure we get them back to swimming. But I think that sets them up for a foundation of a career to where they become, they, they appreciate and have the capacity and ability to be physical. Uh, and, and I think that this is one of those hidden things during this COVID virus time that, that I think we're gonna come out of this and, and, and have learned something because a lot of these young kids have, went, have done this new thing that they hadn't done in a long time, go outside and run around and chase things and climb a tree. Uh, that uh, that that's happened, I think, during COVID for a lot of kids, and I think when they go back to the pool, they're going to go, "Wow, I got, I have some new strength." Our our age groupers with the the stingrays, this this team here, we have a, a team here in San Diego. Their first practice was today, and sure enough, a lot of the kids came in, and they were, you know, Dave Cook has been doing a Zoom call with them and, and coaching them through some Zoom workouts, lots of pull ups, lots of physical things, and then get out and go surf, get out and go, get out, get out, get out and do things. They've a lot of them came in. It's like, Whoa, that's a different kind of physical looking person. And they hadn't swum in, you know, two and a half months in a, in a swimming pool. But I think we're going to find that. So, and further and answer your answer question is, so it goes from the, the, the uh, maturity to physicality to uh, uh, really, I think technical there's things in order to have speed that you need to be able to do that, that, it will compromise your stroke so unfortunately i think to some degree with all the short course yards emphasis of ncaa now uh, and and getting really good at it they've found how to use the walls a lot better the underwater kicks a lot better so there's a lot less swimming going on and a lot more tempo going on that doesn't always carry over to long-term swimming so i always try to convince people to stay with learn how to swim power uh fast and speedy with your full stroke don't go to race tempo don't go to scrambling when you're young because it's going to compromise your ability in the future to swim well long course. You're not going to transition to that. And, and, and at the end of the day, college coaches can speed up your tempo. That's not a problem. But when you're an age hooper, learn to swim fast, but swim fast, always valuing distance per stroke. All right. We're down to three minutes. Let's just drop a bomb on you.
0: How do you beat a guy on the Olympic platform that has a 42-inch vertical leap in the 50 free? Can I mean... How do you? I mean, I I would if I was in the 50 free and I was a great sprinter, I would be overwhelmed facing off with Caleb Dressel. How how is anyone on earth going going to step onto that into, into that final with the other seven guys, and, and, and go up against him? What do you, what do you do?
1: Well, maybe this is part of what has worked for me over the years too. Mel, uh, last I checked, uh, he's a human being and human beings have potential and they have problems and they have uh in his case he has a giant program to swim uh and i hope he swims an amazing program because he swims for usa uh but my job is to help swimmers that i'm coaching right now and that's what i'm focused on and i do have some good sprinters out here but the 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 understanding is that and i want you know the young listeners listeners especially in swimming, none of us are natural in the water. I mean, I go down to the Haloya Cove and watch the seals swim; uh, they're very natural. But the Garibaldi that swim below the seals—they're little, tiny, pretty little orange fish. Well, the reality is, as soon as they do this, they're going faster than Ryan Lochte ever traveled underwater in about a foot. Okay, so we're not natural in the water. So for we human beings to learn how to become more aquatic and to swim faster in the water—that's a lifelong a journey. And that's something that turns into potential. The next thing is, is that learning, you know, that there, there's, there's this thing where this is not potential. This is potential. Okay. How's that learned? That's learned in practice. So hey David,
0: for, think, for everybody listening, uh, the magic man went from a dropped elbow to a high elbow.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So keep your, so if you don't set up your stroke, your potential to ever swim fast is radically changed. Okay. If you drag your legs when you swim, okay, that is not the way anybody's going to race at a high level. You have to kick all the time, kick strong all the time. Uh, so those, there's just b- basic things like this that would, that, that, that a young person needs to do to develop into next level. And I think the other thing is I would go through the version of what I think is, is critical to, to performance. And if I had to put them in big chunks, it would be first, Uh, have your clarity of your goal be really clear what your goal then make the plan Mel you and I had to talk about uh, making up a uh, what what uh, the world record looked like the splits would look like you didn't want to but we did it and I think that made a difference then you have to create a team around you to support you next thing is you have to make the adjustments in your strokes and things and adjustments in your lifestyle prepare that's the hard work that's the snotty stuff you got to do and then finally, perform. Prepare yourself to perform. So maybe one day you have a John Argus or Pat Calhoun to come out of the complete blue and qualify for the uh, the Olympic Games. And and uh, so it's been a pleasure visiting with you here, Mel.
0: We'll end it there. Thanks. You're going to be back.
1: Yeah, man. Um, any anytime you need me, and we're uh, we're back in the water. I'm actually at the house here right now. We're we have our weight room, remote weight room set up over here at our, at the house here. So the uh, Pebbly and Alyssa were just working out here behind me. So they were a little distracting to me while I was working at while I was doing the podcast. But can uh, you keep doing this stuff, uh, Mel? Because it's nice to see, hear, hear you and Coleman keep putting out good content for us to keep learning and getting, get, getting better because that's what it's all about.
0: Hey, do you love Swim, Swim as much as I do? Do you want hours of endless practice footage, race video, and a guide to the best pancake reese in the country? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel below. And follow us on social media at SwimSwam News on Twitter and Instagram. If we
1: get a million followers, I might just eat a million pancakes. Only one way to find out.